0: If you clicked on this, you are probably already aware that we are covering three episodes of Daria. This was not my pick, this is Sylvan's pick, and I imagine that I'm going to do my best to just pull back and let the co-hosts bring most of their personal experiences to the table, and I'll just do, you know, the basic play-by-play and production details. So for the intro, I am going to tell my one personal anecdote about the show before I just turn the reins over to other people, because not everything has to be about me, even though this is my. My show. Anyways, I am an elder millennial. I was roughly Daria's age when this show was new, and there were a few elements of the character that I saw myself in, which is, I mean, if you can hear my voice, you can probably guess why. And this was awkward for me because, you know, the mid to late 90s were still a pretty heteronormative period, especially in contrast with the recording date now. And Daria was one of the earliest fictional female characters that I began to identify with. And there was a part of me that was embarrassed that this female character was making me feel that way because it felt wrong, even though on its face, I recognized how what a myopic and reductive thing that was to feel. Roughly at the same time, you know, being a teenager and all I was having struggles with my sexuality everyone does uh, particularly because of uh, several childhood incidents that I'd rather not bring up anyways this resulted in me in uh, coming out to my parents and they weren't cool with it but they understood that they probably should be and they did their best and they rolled with it and you know, my dad's an old hippie, and he recognized on its face that he should be supportive and all that, but occasionally he put his foot in his mouth now and again. And uh, one instance was when he saw me watching Daria with the siblings. He offhand remarked, watching this show is why you're gay. And... Yeah, that that made me feel pretty shitty. And it's something that I've carried with me ever since. And I imagine that my dad would feel pretty embarrassed and maybe even apologetic if he knew that that was something I internalized. But whenever I think of Daria or see a retrospective on it, that does come to mind because there are definitely bits of the character that we'll be going into later where her persona is something that she has manifested in order to shield herself from certain elements of the world around her. a protective thing a cardboard box to crawl into yes we're talking about that one so yeah this is daria Uh, my name is ryan this is a real deep dive all right joining me for this one my brother sylvan as i mentioned this is sylvan's pick hello and cheryl who is also here
1: i am also here
0: And it has been a long time since you've watched any Daria. Like, you didn't even know that Tom was a thing.
1: Honestly, I don't think I ever saw any Tom episode, and definitely the last time I watched Daria was with Sylvan. So, do you mean, like, uh, this is one of my go-to comfort
2: shows. I watch it on the regular. Do you mean recently, or do you mean, like, back in the early 2000s?
1: I mean, in the pre-COVID times, but, like, not that far back.
0: Yeah, when Daria got a physical media release a couple of years before streaming took off, I bought the DVD box set, and then Sylvan was like, oh yeah, I used to love that show. So I lent the show to Sylvan, and then Sylvan just kind of... I have
2: a DVD set now. Yeah, yeah, it's not (laughs) mine anymore.
0: But yeah, you said this is just one of those shows that you just throw on and put in the background because it just feels familiar.
2: It's a comfort show for me. Um, I actually, if I need something on in the background, like, just for, um, to have noise or whatever, I usually go with, like, cooking shows or The Simpsons. Daria, I specifically turn to to try to feel better. Like, I put it on usually when I'm in a bad mood or going through something.
0: All right, this is a ridiculous question for me to ask you, but there are people, potentially, who are listening to this who do not know any of us personally. (laughs) Why do you connect with Daria as a character? (laughs)
2: Yeah, I mean, so you kind of threw me a little bit in that opening by getting a lot more real than I expected right away. I thought you were going to bring up the fact that, like, we've both been called Daria before, casually by people. Um, That was a thing that used to happen to me all the time in middle school and high school. Like, people would call me Daria.
0: A lot of it's the voice. We don't have expressive voices.
1: It's almost like you guys were smart kids. smart awkward and how Daria like
0: doesn't mind
2: the fact that she's a misfit in fact kind of seeks out that label for herself preemptively to kind of protect herself from when she inevitably does not fit in those are some things I could relate to I like my identity of being an outcast who didn't fit in in my small affluent suburban town so Daria wasn't just like a character identified with she was also somewhat aspirational like I wanted to be that way.
0: Yeah, that is something I brought up on the Matilda episode with Sarah. The idea that, you know, a lot of uh, young boy power fantasies are figures like Batman or James Bond or Conan. the Guys who are stronger and tougher and can win over any woman with a glance. And I compared that to uh, characters that are supposed to appeal to little girl power fantasies. You know, somebody who is just ruthlessly smarter than everyone around them and nobody quite gets them. but They understand how special they are and they're able to use their wiles to work their way out of situations and they almost always have a ready quip that is perfect for every situation that is called for you know matilda wormwood lisa simpson daria morgendorfer and then sarah felt very called out (laughs) (laughs)
2: i'm gonna add wednesday
1: adams
0: to that list oh yeah wednesday adams is definitely on that list
1: I appreciate that this is the thing that, like, other, like, young kids had, but, like, those were never my role models. I always wanted to be, like, the magic man from James and the Giant (laughs) Peach. So, like, I get this is a thing, but, um, okay.
0: (laughs) Really? You didn't want to be the spider? I wanted to be the spider.
1: I, I mean, I had feelings about the spider that, like, it <laughs> took me a long time to understand, like, puberty-level, like, time to understand, but no, I wanted to be the glowworm or the magic man. <laughs> All
0: right, that's its own episode. All right, let's go into the creation of the character, because Daria did not originate on her own show.
1: Yeah,
2: a lot of people forget she was a spinoff from Beavis and
0: Butthead. Mike Judge, upon the advice of MTV Senior Vice President and Creative Director Abby Turkhole, created Daria to serve as a foil to Beavis and Butthead. He felt that a smart young girl with a dry sense of humor would be a good method of putting the characters in their place now and again. Judge loosely based her upon a former classmate of his who was saddled with the unfortunate nickname of Diarrhea. In her, first appearance, okay. yeah, in her first appearance, Daria is forced to do a presentation for science class with Beavis and Butthead. Frustrated with her partner's characteristic uselessness, she turns the tables by making them the unwitting test subjects for her hypothesis, and there is a Simpsons episode that is very similar to this.
2: I can recall the Simpsons episode. Uh, I haven't actually seen any Beavis and Butthead since I was like eight, though.
0: I went over this before we started the episodes. I, I watched a couple of Daria's earliest appearances while I was putting my notes together, and I think I... I like Beavis and Butthead more now than when I was a kid because I hadn't watched the show in decades. And um, a lot of the same Daria people were also on Beavis and Butthead. They just transferred to the other show. And uh, yeah, Daria is one of the only characters who isn't ever driven to hysterics by Beavis and Butthead's antics. She is also one of the few characters who earns a modicum of respect from Butthead. At various points, Daria will do something vaguely supportive of Beavis and Butthead almost by accident, and Butthead will be like, Daria's cool. Daria's monotone was developed gradually over the course of the series. It is startling to watch her earlier appearances because she has an expressive voice.
2: That must be interesting to go back and listen to. Um, I mean, I know in the, the Daria show itself, it takes a little while for a lot of the supporting cast to develop and get their vocal inflections. Brittany, in her first appearance, is pretty unrecognizable from Brittany. Like, I want to say, halfway through the first season, that's when the voice actress starts to figure out what she's doing.
0: Yeah, and Jake is highly strong in his first appearance, but he isn't, like, blowing his stack every third scene.
2: Yeah, I forget how long it takes for him to start having his characteristic outbursts, but um, he's he seems downright, like, calm in comparison.
0: In the series finale of Beavis and Butthead, the plot surrounds the boys being believed dead. The school has an assembly where they try to cope with it, and Daria comments that it's sad that they died, I guess, but it is also possibly futile since Beavis and Butthead didn't really have much of a future to begin with. Which some Ow. people see as an encapsulation of the series as a whole. Because a very common read of Beavis and Butthead is that they are a pair of neglected children growing up in a go-nowhere town that has been abandoned by American industry. So they have nothing to look forward to except for meth and Pornhub.
2: Woo! <laughs> yeah, a little bleak there.
0: This yeah.
1: episode's getting dark! <laughs>
0: Yeah, so just large swaths of America that aren't on the coast where the jobs left and nothing came to replace them. And every now and again, a snake oil salesman, perhaps with a terrible comb over, will come over and try to blame all their problems on immigrants. Anyways, Daria does not appear in the 2011 reboot of Beavis and Butthead. She is only mentioned once, where Beavis assumes that Daria committed suicide and Butthead's like, no, she just moved to a new town.
2: I mean, Fair, in the Daria series, Beavis and Butthead are only referenced once. Very indirectly.
0: And for the production of the spinoff, while Beavis and Butthead's first season was being done, story editor for the show, Glenn Eichler, was approached by MTV and asked to produce a short film starring Daria to serve as a spinoff pilot. So they saw her as star material pretty quickly. Eichler, along with Beavis and Butthead staffer Susie Lewis, crafted a five-minute short called Sealed with a Kick. It was never aired, but it was focus-grouped and tested better than every other short that was given to them, particularly among girls in their early teens, like 11 to 14, which was a demographic that certain MTV executives believed that they were neglecting at the time. While they were a bit reticent because Dario was testing well amongst people who were, you know, younger than the 18 to 24 demographic, which uh, a lot of MTV people saw as their bread and butter, other people in the administrative wing of the network pressed them to saying that college students are, you know, out gallivanting about on the weekends and they don't really watch Watch as much TV, so might be better off going after middle school kids with this show,
2: which is not wrong. I mean, uh, we, we've talked about this before in terms of like book appeal and stuff. You're always going to actually net like the readership that is slightly younger than your protagonist because kids like to read about people who are o- older than them. That I think
0: transfers over to other forms of media as well.
1: You got to do your homework. You want to get prepared for what's next.
0: A 13 episode season was approved in 1996. The first episode aired a few months before Beavis and Butthead aired its last episode. Eichler insisted from the jump that the show make no direct references to Beavis and Butthead. He thought that the characters were very distinctive, and he wanted Daria to have its own aesthetic and its own flavor. Each episode took approximately 10 to 12 months to make. This is from the basic concept of the plot to final animation, which sounds like a long turnaround, but, I mean, not so much, and you can tell that they didn't have a huge budget for it, because there are lots of instances where Daria's lips are the only thing that moves.
2: And sometimes the perspective is a little awkward, like they're still trying to figure out how to uh, make the characters look right from different angles.
0: And they really want characters to like turn their upper body without moving their legs.
2: (laughs) Also, uh, the
1: Morgendorfer's pretty much only eat lasagna. They knew how to animate lasagna, I guess. I was going to say, I noticed that in the three episodes we watched, every time they had a meal, it was lasagna. One time
2: they do try to like make a reference to the fact that, you know, Jake and Helen Aren't around to prepare meals as much as they'd like as a family, so popping a frozen lasagna in the oven is a pretty easy way to to get around that. But I think that was just like an opportunity of writing to explain an animation thing.
1: That or it's very tongue-in-cheek.
0: I mean, self-referential meta humor is something that you can put in Daria's mouth pretty quickly and and readily, and it is on character. So yeah, they're doing that. <laughs> For the first episode that we were talking about, Sylvan picked all three of these, and he picked steamers, which is the first episode.
1: Which you and I like kept autocorrecting with our brain.
0: Oh yeah, it's pronounced Esteemsters, but I was writing steamers and had to keep crossing it out and writing <laughs> writing it the way they did.
1: Yeah,
2: I think the show, like, hits the ground running pretty well, but you can see where everybody's still kind of, like, there's a lot of stereotyping going on, a lot of tropes. It takes a while for the characters to develop and get nuanced. So that's why I wanted to start with the first episode, and then we finished with the last episode so you can see all of the growth in between.
0: At least in Daria, these three episodes are more about Daria's arc. I mean, we don't really have too many opportunities to talk about Quinn. I think we could do like another podcast episode where we were like picked like three Quinn episodes.
2: I would ha- I would be down for that. I didn't appreciate Quinn much back in the day, but now as an adult, like she's one of my favorite characters.
0: All right, Steamsters opens with Daria Morgendorfer, our main character, moving with her family from Highland, Texas, to a suburb called Lawndale in an unnamed state. Although, amongst fans, the most common guess is that it's a suburb of Baltimore, Maryland.
2: I suppose that makes sense, because there's the episodes where they they drive to check out colleges in Boston, and that seems like a good amount of distance.
0: And also, Lawndale gets hit with a um, hurricane, and that's about as far north as you can get while still regularly getting hurricanes. At least in the 90s. Looking forward to the next few decades. Anyways, Daria's perky, fashion driven sister Quinn gains instant popularity, but Daria alienates her teachers and new classmates with her unapologetic intelligence, dryly caustic sense of humor, and disinterest in fitting in. The administrators at Lawndale High School, who were, you know, a bit of a surveillance state, give all of the new arrivals a psychological test and then decide that Daria uh, needs to be assigned to a special class for kids with low self esteem. There, she meets student artist Jane Lane, a girl who shares her monotone wit, her disdain for suburban banality, and her love for the fictional TV show Six Sad World, which is kind of a riff on Ripley's Believe It or Not, which we're all a little young for, but...
1: Oh, I watched all of those.
0: right, never mind. The youngest one here is very familiar with Ripley's Believe It or Not.
1: Oh, yeah, no, no. That's my jam.
0: So they hang out in the class, and Jane and Daria bond, and Jane's taken the class a whole bunch of times, but... She uh,
2: likes having low self-esteem. It makes her feel special.
0: Yeah, whereas Daria delivers, I think, one of the more iconic quotes of the series. I'll allow you, Sylvan. I don't have
2: low self-esteem. I have low esteem for everyone else.
0: (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. Her family starts paying more attention to her, at least her parents do. Quinn immediately starts disavowing that Daria is her sister because she's afraid that it'll affect her popularity which becomes a running motif throughout the series and also a symbol of Quinn's growth when in the last season she starts publicly accepting Daria as a sibling. Anyway, Helen and Jake start going out of their way to try to make Daria feel more included and this causes Daria to start ribbing them by making them do things that they don't especially want to do, like go to a Chuck E. Cheese place when they were kids or uh, attend a UFO convention. But anyways, Daria and Jane decide to ace the test and they get placed in an an assembly to celebrate their self-esteem which seems like a bad idea for the jump.
2: Yeah, this is um, an attempt to establish Mr. O'Neill as somebody who is very bad at his job, but very enthusiastic about it. He, He's very well meaning.
0: He cares so much, even though he can't remember any of the students' names. Which they is, drop
2: that joke pretty
0: fast. They though. do that, drop but, that joke yes, pretty it doesn't fast. He does
2: not track with his personality once he gets to have a personality.
0: Although, well, my favorite bit in the episode is when Jane starts giving a speech and then Mock breaks down in the middle of it.
2: And he calls Dario. she runs off
1: stage
0: (laughs) and of course daria looking to needle Quinn once again thanks quinn her sister for all the help that she gave her during this hi quinn you're sitting right there hello it's a nice moment
2: it's a wonderful moment especially when it translates into quinn trying to explain to her parents how it's humiliating and they're just like oh it's so good that
1: you thanked your sister i know that was so i loved that
0: This is the only episode in which Beavis and Butthead gets even a passing mention. Once again, they're trying to distance themselves from that. There's not too much else I can do about this. I tried to look up other retrospectives or, like, behind-the-scenes stuff. And whenever someone associated with Daria is asked about the show, it's more of a generalized thing. I didn't get, like... I couldn't find any, like, step-by-step breakdowns of any episodes, which is kind of a shame, but... So, anyways, themes for this one. First thing I wrote down was adolescence being a period where individuals push boundaries. That is established from the jump. Yep. And, you know, it's it's healthy, and it's inevitable, really, and in the long run, it can strengthen relationships, but, yeah, a lot of the things that Daria does here are self-sabotaging in certain areas, but, you know, short-term gain is that she gets to smile mischievously while everyone else has to sing Row, Row, Row Your Boat. And it shows a
2: sort of like selfishness in the face of adolescent development. Like, she really is not seeing her parents as whole individuals. And that comes back in the last episode we're going to talk about. Like, she just sees them as a source of conflict and annoyance for herself instead of as real people.
0: Yeah. And she recognizes that her parents are trying at least a little bit. And she's taking advantage of that by making them go to this UFO convention, which she knows they'll be uncomfortable at. So, There's a part of her down beneath that is aware that, hey, I'm not giving these people as much slack as I could.
2: But she also feels like they deserve it because they're probably not giving her as much slack as she deserves. You know, like when Helen decides that she's going to bond with Daria to go clothes shopping, that is not something Daria would want to do.
0: The next thing I wanted to bring up is schools, particularly American public schools, do not have a great track record when it comes to teaching critical thinking. Their main purpose is to teach you to be just smart enough to push the button for a weekly wage. Uh, I see the modern public school system that we've had is a little over 100 years old. It's a child of the Industrial Revolution. And that makes a lot more sense when you look into it, because your role in the Industrial Revolution was to go to the factory and efficiently put the widget into the other widget and that is all and then you get wages for 40 years until you retire and then die this kind of bites us in the ass in the end of the 20th century where technological innovations start eliminating all of those factory jobs. And then suddenly we have the schools that are turning out people with poor critical thinking skills but basic mechanical acumen who don't have positions for that. And yeah, there's no working 40 years at the factory for millennials, but a lot of us are bad at observing that sort of thing, which leaves certain people with bad comb-overs to come in and start blaming things on immigrants Again,
2: you're uh, you're very taking this in a very bleak direction. <laughs> but yeah, I can I can see where you're uh, you're getting at the the public school system does fail Daria as a character, although in a later episode she also wouldn't want to leave it. She's given an opportunity and chooses not to.
0: Over and over again, the public school fails Daria. She excels in lots of elements, especially in the humanities, and nobody there, including teachers who specialize in the humanities, are able to find a constructive direction to put her in. One of the things that keeps coming up about Daria is that she is very listless. She does not participate in any wider social activity. She doesn't really have any friends aside from Jane and sometimes Jody. And that brings up another element that people often associate with Generation X there because it's often pointed out that while Daria is millennial age, she is often written with perceptions of how Generation X was seen when they were younger. I mean, they're in their upper 40s to upper 50s at this period, so their perception of them is a little different if people even remember them, but there's a part of it where they're just you know very disaffected, they don't have an identity. That was what they were rubber stamped with around 1994, and it never quite shook them. And And, you know, this is an undercurrent of that is like, what if I don't want the American dream? What if I don't want to just put my four years of high school in and then try to get into a good college and then try to get a good job and then buy a house and raise the 2.5 kids with my spouse and then retire at 65 and die? What if there's something else and you don't really have anything else to offer me, America? And then after 2001 or so, you won't even be able to offer me that. I was just saying, I'm
1: like, that that sounds pretty good. Can I have that? I'll be able to retire.
0: One think piece about Daria I came across is like, yeah, a lot of times when you're watching Daria, you kind of want to go back to the Generation Xers and be like, "What the hell are you doing? Things are never going to be this good ever again." We, <laughs> uh, yeah, there. Show
2: is a comedy, by the way. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this isn't something I picked up while I was growing up in the '90s, but it was thrown around a lot, especially if you go back and like read old issues of Time or Newsweek from this period. But people frequently refer to the 1990s as the end of history. Oh dear. It was meant to be a good thing. It's because this was after the Cold War ended, but before 9-11. So the United States had no opposition. A lot of people were under the impression that liberal democracy was just going to spread throughout the world and that we would achieve peace and there would be no more conflict forever. Serious adults thought this in 1995. Well, that's cute. Even if you look at the time period, because uh, I mean, a lot of people nostalgically refer to the 90s as a period of like economic prosperity and no major geopolitical conflicts, which is just objectively not true. And it ignores everybody who isn't a white American in an affluent suburb. Even within America, you have, you know, Waco and O.J. Simpson and the, um, the Rodney King riots and all of these other things that are very contentious and very aggressive and definitely not something that we would say as the end of history in a utopian sense. Yeah, that's another reason why Generation X was painted by this wide swath of a brush of being just, they don't have anything to push against. They are rebels without a clue. That is a very frequently used pejorative term for them, by the way. This leads me to another point that I'm, it's probably going to come up a couple of times in the other episodes we're talking about. Daria's disaffected attitude is a shield and not a weapon. Some people say that Daria doesn't care that it's kind of an oh well, whatever, never mind type of thing. But if you're watching the show with any kind of attention or at least a perspective that's at least halfway similar to mine, I think it's very apparent that Daria cares very deeply. The complacency of her peers is what disturbs her. And I think that's found in all of her various comebacks because she only directs her barbs to those in positions of power or authority over her or at people like Kevin who do not take her seriously.
2: Yeah, Daria holds herself to a very rigid standard, morality-wise. This is some, uh, something that her mother discusses with her in one of the episodes. And she does get very frustrated when others don't meet those standards, and it's also not healthy for her, because in the second episode we're going to talk about, she fails to meet her own personal standards, and then she shuts down. Like, she does not know how to function when she has disappointed herself. And that is something that I identify with very strongly.
1: I was going to say, that's why I was, like, staring at you <laughs> to, like, a creepy, intense degree. I'm like, are you t- talking... talking about yourself I'm talking
2: about both of us I think aspiring to be like Daria might have backfired on me a little bit
0: This is also a frequent source of conflict, not just between Daria and Helen, but also uh, Daria and Jodi. Because Jodi is also a very scholastically gifted teenager at Lawndale High, but she is a lot more outgoing. She's popular, she's on the cheerleading team, but she is...
1: I don't
2: think Jodi's a cheerleader, actually, but she's, like, in student council. She's in, like, everything you can be.
0: Like even she is bristles at Daria's principles, and they have a big argument over that. But Jody isn't prominent in any of the uh, episodes that we're discussing here, which is odd because I believe the Jody centric spin off is still in development.
2: Jody's a great character, but I know one of the things that she's she's very beloved among um, Black Americans who grew up with the show, and I'm you know hesitant to to do any like deep dives on that because we white.
0: <laughs> we are very white. <laughs> Uh, Yeah, next episode we're talking about, we're jumping ahead a couple of seasons to Die, Die, My Darling, season 4, episode 13. Okay, a lot of stuff has happened since then. <laughs> yeah, this then. was an
2: abrupt transition to bring in on. <laughs>
0: this opens with Jane's latest artistic endeavor being to paint tiger stripes in her hair. She was watching tigers at the zoo with her brother Trent and paints herself with stripes. And she recruits Daria's assistants in dyeing her hair, who insists that she is not qualified to dye anyone's hair. Daria is very reticent here.
2: This strikes me as Jane being very self sabotage like, unconsciously trying to bring a brewing conflict to a head.
0: I mean, she flat out says it in episode's all.
1: Honestly, though, like, flashbacks to being a teenage girl, like, that was a dominant struggle. That was entirely dominance. Jane was, like, absolutely asserting herself over Daria to the point that they were both upset and uncomfortable by it.
0: There had been tensions between the two of them lately in prior episodes, largely stemming from Jane's strained relationship with her boyfriend Tom. Jane and Tom have been growing apart lately, and Daria's former distrust and jealousy of Tom, because Tom's been monopolizing all of Jane's time lately, has since blossomed into a genuine friendship. In prior episodes, Daria and Tom start talking together, and then hours pass and they don't realize it, and Jane is starting to get reservations about this. She has noticed that Tom and Daria have been talking and relating to each other a lot more easily than Jane has been with Tom, and she is resentful of both of them. This is part of what causes Jane to strong-arm Daria into the hair-dyeing position, with the stated goal of rekindling their friendship. Like, this is a fun thing that teen girls do together. But, as Charles already commented, it's definitely a power move. (laughs) This plan falls apart when Daria botches the job, causing Jane to angrily accuse her of sabotaging her hair in order to drive Tom away from her. Daria insists that she had no intention of doing this and is hurt at the insinuation, but this stirs her to consider that she has grown attracted to Tom. She tries to talk to her mom several times over the course of the episode, but Helen is busy with work stuff. This is another motif during the series and can never really get a sit down with her. And eventually, Daria sits down with Tom in his car because he's been waiting for her outside her house. There's a big old box of red flags, but she's a teen girl who is not accustomed to dealing with her horniness. So in she goes.
2: I also feel like this was a little more common before cell phones were readily available to everybody.
0: Uh, yeah, this isn't a thing where, uh, if you want to talk to somebody and you want to say some stuff that you, you should probably work on a little bit before you, uh, send it out, you actually, like, have to stop and think about it. You can't just reach everybody instantly. I mean, she could have
1: had a pager.
0: She
2: could have <laughs> Daria does not have a pager. No.
0: But Anyways. Quinn wh- doesn't
2: even have a pager. Really? Yeah.
0: Yeah, while they're talking, Tom kisses Daria, and then she kisses him back. Daria immediately confesses this to Jane the next time she sees her, who breaks... Which oh,
2: Cheryl pointed out was very bad timing. So
1: this this episode actually proves into a place that Daria doesn't have good social skills and he work on those because she doesn't know who to talk to about like the situation that happened with Jane and she keeps immediately trying to go to her mom to the point that when she talks to her sister her sister has a quick immediate response on what should be going on as if it was like a throwaway thing and then like yeah no absolutely at that point too in front of a bunch of people in a super public area at the beginning of a stressful day like you can't leave school nowhere to process. Oh, <laughs> but I'm like, no, no, it's really good writing. Cause again, she's not supposed to have good social skills.
2: And it also shows how Daria is with. She feels bad because she knows she failed her code of morality. She still isn't 100% thinking of Jane here as much as she would like to think she is. She needs to confess because confessing is the right thing to do. So she needs to do it right away.
1: So it'll make her feel better. But like she doesn't take into account Jane's feelings. We're like, maybe you do that at the end of the school day where somebody can leave. And not in front the of, Blow a little bit. Maybe lead into it. Not in front of a bunch of strangers.
0: Jane confronts Tom, and they break up over the swing set. Daria finally gets her mother alone, and they have a very sweet scene where they talk about growing pains in the restaurant. I really like that scene.
2: Oh yeah, it's one of my favorite moments in the series. Actually, is when like so Helen gets very aggressive at work because you know lawyer and female lawyer in a male-dominated firm, whatever. She's very mean with clients and stuff. Like you hear her making pointedly scathing comments on the phone, and she keeps going on about how like you know no time, this is important every, and then she drops everything as soon as she sees that her daughter's in distress and takes her out to to lunch. It's a really touching moment.
0: Final scene is when Jane talks to Daria about. About everything that's happened and neither of them are sure what's going to happen to their friendship Jane assumes that Tom is going to start dating Daria and doesn't like that but also kind of wants Daria to start being more of a well-rounded person but they don't know how to interact final scene in the episode is Tom calling Daria
1: and it's also the
2: final scene in the season because this is the last episode of the season
1: I wonder how that's going to play out
0: the storyline was resolved in the TV movie, Is It Fall Yet? MTV actually wanted this to have a theatrical release, but focus groups found that nobody outside of people who already watch MTV regularly knew who Daria even was, so they made it a direct-to-TV movie. I really like Is It Fall Yet? If I got around to picking Daria for an episode of the show, I probably would have gone with that, because, you know, each of the main characters and a lot of the supporting characters get their own little arc. They open up Quinn a lot in that. She gets to have more depth than she usually does, and it leads to more growth for the character in the later seasons. But anyways, for our purposes, it resolves with Daria and Jane repairing their friendship, and also Jane being actually cool with Daria seeing Tom, and Daria and Tom start dating.
2: They do occasionally make some snide remarks about it here and there, but it it, bother, it seems to bother Tom and Daria way more than it bothers
0: Jane. You gotta
1: release the tension somehow.
0: Alright, themes for this episode. I mean, I already discussed a couple of the things I already wrote down when between Charles and Sylvan just going back and forth, but one thing opening up. This is an episode where more than anything beforehand, Daria lets down her detached armor and is vulnerable to someone, and she struggles to do this with Jane, let alone a boy that she attracted to and doesn't do a fantastic job with this because she is very new to this and she doesn't have the same level of emotional intelligence as most of the other characters. I think Daria's main character arc over the course of the series rests upon acknowledging the limitations of her aloof, snarky posturing. Her conversation with Jody, which I alluded to earlier, ended with her going, and I'm paraphrasing here, something along the lines of, I may be missing out on stuff because of how I am, but this is what works for me at the moment, and it is not something that I can let go of easily. Oh, yeah, and all the other stuff that you guys mentioned, articulating a lot more directly than I probably could have. Final episode that we're going to be talking about is the series finale, at least until the final movie, called Boxing Daria. I could not find a good synopsis for this episode online, so... All right, this opens with the Morgendorfer's getting a new fridge installed and a box being left in the backyard, which Helen instructs her two daughters to just put on the curb for the trash man to come because Jake is out on a last minute conference. However, the presence of the box stirs old memories in Daria and she starts to suspect that Jake might not actually be out on a conference and that he and Helen had some kind of a fight. She begins having memories of this argument that her parents had when she was about six and it was about her and their inability to come to terms with how she was struggling to relate to children her own age. This is juxtaposed with Mr. O'Neill trying to persuade Daria into giving freshman introductions you know and, you know, having the uh, elder classmen lead the kids around and tell them what it's like to go to Lawndale and stuff and Daria very characteristically is reluctant to participate in this sort of thing and it starts feeling more and more connected to the memory she's having of her parents fighting and the thoughts that have stirred up in that.
2: In addition, Tom is away with his family. He's at a wedding and Daria has been invited several times very sincerely to tag along should she choose and she starts having kind of like increasingly irrational interactions with Tom where he he doesn't seem to be able to get a right answer in. Do you want me there? Do you not want me there? Like she's clearly having a tough time and to his credit he can tell that she's struggling and he's not taking any of it personally.
0: Quinn, even though she was much younger at the time, actually remembers the fight as well, and that means you get the flashback in almost its entirety. When Jake gets back, Daria confronts them about it, and yeah, they talk about how, yeah, they barely remembered it happening, but they were called into a conference because Daria just refused to interact with the other children, and they had a big scream fest that night because neither of them were in a great place. They were both in stressful positions. Helen was trying to go back to full-time work after having another kid, and Jake was working a job he really hated and things just kind of boiled over and Daria just crawled inside a refrigerator box as a six-year-old and started reading because she just couldn't handle hearing that, especially since Jake just storms out and, you know, leaves for a night. He stays at a motel and, then you know, comes back the next morning. Daria had been grabbing the refrigerator box and crawling inside it not understanding why, but this drives her to get in her car and drive and call Tom in the middle of the rainstorm on the highway and say, hey, I'm coming to the wedding, I changed my mind. And because her vision isn't great while she's driving, established in previous episodes, she gets in a fender bender.
2: Yeah, they, in addition to Daria having poor vision that she struggles with with driving, she's also a very anxious nervous driver.
1: None of us can relate to that, right? So
0: she Pulls off the road and goes to a diner. You know, she calls Jane. Jane drops everything and goes to talk to her. Daria, uh, who is not great at expressing emotion in public, hugs her the very instant she sees her, which Jane is surprised by. they have a nice little heart-to-heart. Jaria goes and talks to her parents again and at this point she discusses how she believes that this fight was caused by her and suggests that by being herself she was becoming a burden on her parents, which Helen and Jake immediately dispute. They say that...
1: Shut that the fuck down. Yeah,
0: there's like, you're special and you are smart and this is something that we had to roll with. We didn't like going to these conferences but we understood that these are the dudes we had to pay because of how gifted you are yeah
1: it was the things. trade-off yeah. and that was so sweet And they're like we were upset because we you were, you upset. were upset we didn't mind going down there we just didn't want you to be and i was like oh my god it's so sweet <laughs>
2: they handle it really well, partially because Helen is stepping on Jake's foot every time he's about to say something dumb. And at the end of it, I think you broke my
1: toe.
0: (laughs) Anyway, Daria goes back to her room and we discover that Quinn has taken the refrigerator box and put it in there because Quinn and Daria are getting along better in the last season.
1: So I never realized that they had a three-year age difference. I thought they were like one after the other. It's like two and a half-ish or something, because they are in
2: the same high school, and um, I think by the last season, Daria is a senior, because she's getting ready for college, and I think Quinn must be a sophomore
1: then. Because she said she was three when the fight happened, and Daria was six, so I was like, oh my goodness. She said five or six, like, she doesn't remember clearly. Yeah.
0: I do like the bit where they're, like, driving home from the counseling session, and Daria is saying, like, I don't want to talk to the other kids, and it's like, toddler Quinn is just bouncing up and down in (laughs) her chair. (laughs) I talk to the kids all the time and they talk back.
2: I also relate to that whole thing where Daria does it, like, is just very oblivious of why there's even, like, meetings or why her parents are having a hard time. Like, what? The kids are boring. I like to read. This isn't a problem.
0: Boxing Doria was intended to be the final episode, and it very much screams that. There are numerous callbacks to the first episode.
1: Wild ponies running gracefully. On I the squeaked when they did that. I was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs>
0: yeah, you just saw the bookends back to back with the awkward relationship trauma on them as the sandwich. Well,
1: the book when she crawls into the um, refrigerator box as a kid is Black, Black Beauty. Beauty, so that's why I thought the pony thing, and then
0: they do that part, and I was like, "Ah!" <laughs> Getting on the theme, something that we have to bring up at some point, neurodivergence, because plenty of people assume that Daria's on the spectrum, and lots of kids on the spectrum identify with Daria.
2: Hey there. <laughs> <laughs>
0: in this episode, it's brought to the forefront particularly because numerous people on the spectrum feel guilt for the stress that they bring to parents, friends, or family who struggle to communicate with them. It is not easy when one's toolkit for human interaction is different from the socially acceptable version, especially when there are no spoons in this toolkit and whether or not a particular uh, streak of divergence is considered societally useful or a liability is more or less dependent upon arbitrary factors in the environment. The very common find memes in neurodivergent communities of people talking about how, hey, I have Asperger's. If we lived in a time where like you were expected to work a butter churn, I would kick ass. I would be so good. I'd be a pillar of my community. However, since the only job that's available to me is working at a call center not so much
1: yeah i feel that i don't want like i'm this is gonna sound so thoughtless i'm so sorry the first thing that came to my head was like that would hurt your arms so bad just doing a butter churn all day (laughs) like that's not nice for anybody
0: yeah but you don't have to think about the churn while you're working on it so you can just or talk to anybody yeah that's great you get butter at the end there's a very (laughs) clear reward here the butter churn is a skinner box And speaking of Skinner boxes, a lot of people on the spectrum excel at video games because you get instant rewards for clearly defined work that you put in. Buttershire and video games, every time period has its own thing. And uh, another thing I wanted to bring up is that yes, Daria's parents pay more attention than they initially seem to, especially on the earlier episodes where they haven't quite worked out what their parents are supposed to be like. I wanted to mention here that the cast of Daria might have gone through reverse slanderization.
2: Yeah, I think that's a good way to approach it. Um, it seems very much like like they had a good skeleton like foundation of what they were going to work through with the characters, but they're all very tropey at the beginning, and then people slowly get depth as you go. Almost every Single character. I think there are a few exceptions, like Miss Barch is Miss Barch the whole time.
0: Just about all the ones you can name get a lot deeper and more humanistic as the series progressed. I think Quinn is the most obvious example of this, but uh, definitely Helen.
2: Yeah, I love Helen by the end of the show. I think she's very just, there's a surprising amount to relate to with her. Um, and she was just supposed to be kind of an annoying mom at the beginning. And Quinn has so much depth and is, I, I just, I appreciate the way she relates to teenage girlhood and the expectations of on it, and her approach to dating is just chef's kiss.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Although you did mention that, like, One remark that Quinn makes that it's like you felt fleshed the character out considerably is that Quinn concedes that her uh, shopping and fashion fixations are very shallow, even within the parameters of those fields themselves. But it's something that she's good at. And she doesn't know who she'd be if she didn't have those.
2: Yeah, that was in the the monster episode where Daria and Jane film Quinn for a day for a, a documentary project for their English class. And um, Quinn knows she's going to be exposed for being a shallow teenage girl. And she comments like, no, really, there is more to me than that. But this is what I'm good
0: at. Also her ongoing Machiavellian struggles with Sandy. But yeah, if we do a Quinn trilogy, we can go more into that. Sounds good. (laughs) All right, let's move on to the voice cast for this. First off, we have Tracy Grandstaff as Daria. This is her only major acting role. Her IMDb page is just pictures of Daria. Aside from Daria, she has six writing credits on The Tom Green Show, and that's it. She has not worked in the entertainment industry in any capacity since 2002. I don't know anything about her. I couldn't find anything about her.
2: Well, it's kind of a shame because I think she gives a a solid performance as Daria. Although if that's the only type of character she could do, there's definitely limited options out there.
0: Yeah, I don't know what Tracy Grandstaff is on to now. I'd like to think that she's found something else that works for her and that she has fond memories of the animation period of her life. But
1: Just other stuff now, other projects.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's hope she's in a good place. Someone who has a, a little more of a presence on the internet, uh, Wendy Hoops as Jane Lane, Helen Morgendorfer, and Quinn Morgendorfer.
2: I always forget that she's Jane, too. Like, you can hear Helen and Quinn in each other. They have some of the same inflections and stuff, which I actually rather enjoy because, you know, it's a mother and daughter. It makes sense that they would adopt some of each other's speaking patterns.
0: Uh, Yeah, she has done a couple of retrospective interviews about the show. In one, she refers to her Daria work as like working a stick shift in that Jane is her slow voice and that Helen is her normal voice and that Quinn is her fast voice. I love
1: that Helen's her her normal voice.
0: Uh, Yeah, based on what I could pick up, Helen is fairly close to her normal speaking voice. She mostly does minor TV and film parts, based on what I could find, although she did a lot more stage material. She played Janis Joplin in an off Broadway musical once. Oh, me. Uh, yeah. Besides that, she is Doctor Number Four in Captain America: The Winter Soldier. Ooh,
1: get some of that Disney money.
0: So Wendy Hoops deserves better. Yep. Particularly, like she should have had a long career as a voice actress. She should have been in, like in a million other things because she has range. Jane and Helen, and not so much Helen and Quinn, but those are distinct voices.
1: And
2: Helen and Quinn are both very believable for their different phases in life. Like, I, I think that she acts them both beautifully.
0: And the characters have their own personas. And in the scenes where those characters are talking to each other, it does feel like two different people talking to each other, even though it's one person. Alright, then we have Julian uh, Reboled, Reboledo. I should have looked that up, as Jake Morgendorfer. He mostly does voiceover for commercials, thousands of credits in that. Although he has done some animation and video game work, both he and Wendy Hoops were in the Max Payne video games. Yeah, I don't know anything about those. Jake developed a little bit. He might have flanderized a bit over the run of the show. I mean, he did get, like, more in-depth conversations in certain scenes with Daria in the later seasons, but he is usually there as a comic foil. The characters will be having some kind of, like, plot-centric dialogue, and then he'll be, like, reading the newspaper and getting angry because it's illegal to shoot squirrels.
1: (laughs) You can't drown them either! (laughs) He's also very easily distracted
2: and
0: kinda of easy to manipulate.
1: He's a good match for Helen.
0: They they work together.
1: Um, I just assume that he was very cute when he was younger. <laughs>
0: Yeah, he's kind of a generic dopey sitcom husband character. Although I do like the the episode where they go to a cabin in the mountains in order to like attempt to rekindle their marriage and Helen is putting more effort into it than he is.
2: I was thinking like my favorite Jake Spotlight episode is actually the one where he has the heart attack and he's reckoning with his own mortality. It's
1: been a long time since I've seen this show I'm just like, oh my goodness, these, this family's been through so much. <laughs> they really, they go through the ringer for a comedy.
0: And then we have Mark Thompson, who uh, is a number of the uh, supporting male characters on this show. He is Kevin. He is Upchuck. He is Jamie, one of the three boys who's constantly chasing Quinn around. He is Mr. DiMartino, and he is Mr. O'Neill. He has said that his favorite character was Kevin, since he considers himself to be a bit of a ditz, and he gets to flaunt <laughs> that whenever he voices Kevin. Aww. <laughs> I mean, you can tell that Mr. DiMartino and that Mr. O'Neill are the same dude.
2: I think it, it's more obvious with Upchuck and Mr. O'Neil, like, that's the same voice. Just different characters with the same voice, because they, they behave differently.
0: Although, since it is coming out of a different character's mouth and they do behave differently, it's kind of like a John DiMaggio thing, where like, oh, that's Bender, but it's coming out of a dog's mouth, but still, it's nice to hear that voice. I'm attached to that voice now. <laughs> Alright, if we're talking about Daria, I kind of inevitably have to bring up the music because of certain controversies, but the theme song, You're Standing On My Neck, was performed by a group called Splendora. They were an alt-rock band that got swept up in that whole um, R.E.M. is selling out stadiums and oh my god, Nirvana happened. So there was a period where major labels were just siding like every single weirdo alternative band like Primus or Green Jello, thinking that they were going to be the next big thing. Because they might be Giants had a hit. That's weird. Blendora put out one album in 1995, and it didn't really go anywhere. They were kind of caught on the tail end of the alt-rock boom. They were about to be replaced by Hanson and the Spice Girls. They didn't really do much, so they really needed that MTV money when they uh, came up and asked them to do the theme song. Blendora hung together in order to do two more songs for the TV movies, but they split up immediately as Daria ended, and they haven't really done much since. Although they have occasionally reunited to like perform You're Standing on My neck for daria retrospectives which i do really like that song it might just be through just repetition and association with the show but it suits the show especially the attitude
2: oh yeah great introduction to who daria is i actually used to think that like it was her singing the song
0: oh
1: i kind of like that that's sweet
0: and yeah whenever i hear just any guitar that even sounds vaguely like you're standing on my neck i just think of daria just barely moving her hand to get the volleyball
2: I was very bad at volleyball in middle school gym, and that was the first time I was called Daria.
1: <laughs> oh, I love volleyball. I mean, I don't know if I like it anymore now, but like I had a weird like natural talent for volleyball. I'm also a really good goalie. If something's flying at me, my instinct is my hands go up immediately. That's not volleyball, though. That's soccer.
0: Daria's episodes had no original score. Uh, occasionally, they would use bits of Splendora's guitar feedback in the theme song to do incidental music cues, but for the most part, it was taken from contemporary pop music, sometimes used in reference, particularly on the uh, episode where Jane and Daria tag along on Trent's band to go to a show, and they reenact the music video for R.E.M.'s Everybody Hurts. Uh, there are certain other bits, like in uh, Die, Die, My Darling, No Doubt's Simple Kind of Life is used to uh, cue the scene where uh, Daria kisses Tom, which feels like a very appropriate song for that scene.
2: Yep, and we didn't get to watch it that way.
0: Yes, speaking of which, (laughs) since Daria existed before the DVD period, where entire seasons and sometimes entire runs of shows were released on physical media, and of course a long time before streaming, MTV didn't bother to get licensing for physical media release from most of the uh, needle drops that they use throughout the show. Even when they put out VHS tapes, they replace certain bits with canned music when they couldn't come to some kind of agreement with the uh, record labels. Almost everything on the DVDs and on the Hulu streaming is replaced with canned music, which it's definitely a compromise, and I think it lessens the show. Whenever I watch a pirated episode, I end up liking it more. But, you know, what are you going to do?
2: I understand, but I am disappointed. Mm.
0: I would be pleased as punch if they actually got everything back for like, you know, streaming or whatever. But most producers aren't going to go through the trouble. The only one I can think of offhand is uh, Lauren Michaels when they put out the first five seasons of Saturday Night Live on DVD. He refused to do it until they got permission from all of the artists who, you know, performed. All right, the reception for Daria. It was one of MTV's most popular shows during its run. For a couple of seasons, it was the most popular show that MTV was airing at the time. Reviews of the show were almost uniformly positive. It was compared favorably with other teen comedies and dramas of the period, particularly Dawson's Creek. Often people would bring up Daria in order to mock Dawson's Creek. (laughs) They saw the show as a more realistic and relatable program, despite its detours into absurdity. Yeah,
2: there are some episodes
0: we didn't. Talk about
2: very pointedly that went far into absurdity, but maybe we could save that for another podcast.
0: Yeah, one of the more divisive episodes amongst uh, Daria fans is the musical, which yeah, I have weird I was feelings thinking about. Of
2: the holiday one. Yeah, the
0: holiday one is also an odd one. And, uh, yeah, One more thing I wanted to bring up before we close things out was the epilogue. The co-creator of the show and head writer, I mentioned her already, Susie Lewis, she wrote an account of where the characters are upon the show's 20th anniversary in 2017. According to her, Daria is now a writer in New York City. Jane married an archaeologist and continues with her art and is still close with Daria. Helen and Jake are retired. Quinn has triplets, is divorced and apparently makes her money doing makeup tutorials on youtube she has taken off and is becoming like a brand maven Susie lewis has decided that Brittany has become a tv weather girl and that kevin is a stay-at-home dad who is married to her
2: i like that for them i like that a lot
0: (laughs) yeah we didn't talk about kevin or britney all that much if we do more daria episodes we might be able to get into them a bit more Okay, but, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's about it for me, and this episode's getting pretty long, so uh, anything that either of you would like to say about Daria before we close things out?
1: I'm looking forward to Daria part two. All
0: right, so we have just assumed that we're doing more Daria episodes <laughs> at this point.
1: Yeah. Uh, I always wanted Jean's piercings, and I never got them. Well, we can fix that. Uh, maybe a professional can fix that. Well, that's what I meant, but yes,
2: we can, you, you should get through Jane piercings.
0: We'll talk about that on the next Dari episode. <laughs> Has Cheryl gotten her piercings? Find out.
1: Da <laughs> dun, dun. dun.